Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Before we get started, are you thinking of creating a podcast or are you a podcast host already? As a podcast strategist, I can help you to launch or relaunch a purposeful and profitable podcast, which will inspire, entertain and educate a global audience. Simply book in a one-to-one call with me right now via the Calendly link in the show notes and together we'll focus on the purpose of your podcast. Today on Focus on Why, I am joined by Renee Lee Rosenberg. Welcome. Hello. Very nice to be here today. Thank you for having me. And where is here for you, Renee? Oh, here right now actually is Florida, but my home is New York City. Perfect. Well, a very warm welcome to you <laughs> from Florida. Fantastic. So what is it that you are focusing on at the moment, Renee? What I'm focusing on is actually something I've been focusing on for the last 30 to 40 years, which is, and I can't believe I could say even 40 years, but that's true. I have been working on intergenerational communication in the workforce and helping people, generally people who have been in their 50s and over, to be happy to be respected, to be acknowledged and appreciated in the workforce. And I'm also working now with leaders to help the different generations stay active, productive, and also happy in the workforce. So in the time that you have been working, has there been a a shift in how many generations are now in the workplace? Oh, oh my gosh. Yes, there certainly has been. When I first started in in my career in in career counseling and talent management, I was working with really just two generations. And now we're finding that there are five generations in the workforce and five generations coming in for career counseling. And it gets a little confusing and a little hectic, I must say, and a little difficult to manage. But what I'm really seeing is that it's becoming more and more difficult for leaders and managers to manage this volatile, different mix of generations in the workforce. And what constitutes a generation? A generation is approximately 20-year span, and it's a span of years when people live through certain experiences together. So, for example, the veterans generation, the traditionalists who were born before 1945, they've experienced similar types of events. They've experienced two wars, many of them. They've experienced depressions, recessions. Um, They've experienced the the, the television (laughs) coming into popularity. They were the radio generation. So they're very different from the newer generations, the generation of today, the Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z, who are experiencing different things within the 20-year gap that they have grown up and lived. 
And the boomers also have experienced very different experiences. They experienced Woodstock. They experienced the Vietnam War. They experienced rock and roll, <laughs> drugs, sex, and, and all the rest of that stuff that, that they're known for. Um, so this really causes them to have different styles, different beliefs about work, different attitudes, and in general, to be very different from each other. Now, this sounds fascinating because every day is going to be different. You never know what you're going to be facing. Absolutely. And and this newest generation that's coming up, they're about 10 years old now, and some of them are not even born yet, but this is the new alpha generation. And this generation actually will be experiencing things that we can't even imagine. Certainly AI and living with AI and maybe even robots coming to um, clean their house and take them for walks. And, and do all rather than uh, their parents. So I, I'm just we're seeing changes. <laughs> I love that, and I'm just getting flashbacks from watching Back to the Future to then now knowing that actually some of that is even outdated and where we thought that was so futuristic at the time. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so different styles, different beliefs, different attitudes. What about different values? Oh, values also are so very, very different. As, as I mentioned, that these different generations were born at different times, grew up with different upbringings, different beliefs, and their values really are, are very, very different. They don't see things the same way. For example, the boomers, if you want to award or recognize a boomer in the workforce, um, they like recognition by seeing their name in print, by getting an award, uh, by getting a plaque. Don't give a plaque to, to a Gen Y or a Gen Z. They'll probably throw it in the garbage. I hope not, but um, maybe they'll put it somewhere. What they want is they want recognition and acknowledgement by having more flexibility, by being able to take a day off, by perhaps um, some other kind of award. Um, by being involved in the workforce, in the decision-making. So all of that is different in how people's values differ and how their beliefs differ and how their work styles differ. So I can see how this can be tricky for leaders, for managers to recognize, to praise, to, to also help and encourage those who are not doing well in the workforce, because what may be deemed as praise for one person is seen as criticism almost for another person. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Very, very difficult for leaders. Leaders really need now to be more flexible. They need to be more knowledgeable of the understanding how there are differences because they, they can't ignore them. Actually, you know, in the in the past, I think leaders didn't pay that much attention to the different generational needs because there weren't that many generations. But now um, they really need to 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 have an engaged, productive workforce and to make sure that their workers are not leaving. Talent retention is extremely important nowadays um, and we're losing talent. And for a leader to really have a good productive company, they need to understand what they need to do. Um, they need to practice, and I, I'm a big advocate as, as you may know, of emotional intelligence. They need to practice empathy 
They need to understand, they need to ask questions, they need to listen, and they need to follow up. Something that maybe some leaders are not as comfortable or familiar with, but they need to start practicing different skills and different ways of relating and communicating to each generation in a different way. So this is, this is a lot of hard work ahead, but very necessary, very needed, and very important. And it's really interesting because uh, I'm thinking about Daniel Pink and his drive, his his explanation of motivation here. And he talks about autonomy, mastery and purpose as being motivational factors. And what you're sharing here is also is, is there are different motivations that, that are driving people in the workplace. And what I want to understand more so is how that works across the intergenerations, how that comes together, who who sort of bends to work with different motivations. Do some people think actually your way is, is a more interesting or a better way, or is it a case of they stick with what they like and what they know? Mm, that's a really good question. I think an answer would be, the best answer would be is that each generation thinks that they are the best. <laughs> um, and why not? You know, don't don't we don't we want to think that? No, don't we want to have that positive outlook? And it it is about being positive. And if you don't think that you're the best, then you might start being negative about what you're doing and how you're working. And that's a challenge because, as you may know, negativity is we're kind of inbred to be negative. 75% of the thoughts that run around in our heads daily are actually negative. So we, we have to work hard to be positive. So I do believe that each generation thinks that they're the best. And that's why there's so much discussion of what's happening in the workplace. But the one that really, I think, has the biggest problem is the baby boomer because they really feel that, you know, and, and I'm one of those, so I, I can understand that, that when the new generations come in and we say, boy, these are just kids, what do they know? But the truth is they know a lot, you know, <laughs> and we can learn a lot from them. But the boomer doesn't really um, want to believe that because they think that they were the best generation, they know the most, and the truth is they are the most experienced and they are knowledgeable about institutional behavior and institutional practices, but they're not as open to really accepting. And I think that Gen Y may be also the same and even Gen Z, you know, and, and you know, as, as I'm speaking and I'm thinking, I think that each generation thinks they're the best because I was going to say Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z, they all think that. <laughs> and that's, that's the work of a leader and a manager to try to understand how to appreciate each generation for what they bring to to the workforce and to the skills, the experience, um, the attitudes, all of it is necessary and all of it is needed in a multi-generational workforce. And I'm not a big fan of labeling and putting people into boxes from a perspective of it's useful to class people into these different age groups and what they're likely to to believe, to think, to the ways that they act. Is it as clear cut that people in these groups do work all the same way? 
Mm. I'm not a fan of labeling either, <laughs> which which is really interesting because I, I do a lot of work in intergenerational communication and I find myself labeling. So um, we can't help it. You know, I, I think we're just programmed to do that. And, and there are so many differences that we really can't help but but look at the differences and say, okay, this generation behaves this way and this one. For example, Gen Gen Y is a generation that really needs to be acknowledged and needs to get feedback instantly and and instantly and right um immediate, immediate and instant. And if they don't get that feedback, and, and if they're not included in what's happening in the company, they might turn around and leave. And there's a statistic that says that their workers now are leaving within six months on a very, very high percentage. And most of them are the younger workers, because the older workers also are leaving, but they're leaving for retirement. So it's totally different reasons. But we, we need to know that there are differences and workers need to understand the differences of each generation to be able to accept and acknowledge and work together. And there really needs to be a collaboration between the generations and to understand the differences. And what, one of the differences that, that I'm thinking of also is that Gen X, you, you can give Gen X an assignment and tell them what to do. And they really want to know what their purpose is and why they're there, but you can't tell them how to do it. But you could do that for a boomer. They're okay. They'll they'll take that advice. Matter of fact, many boomers would like to be told how they're supposed to work and what they're supposed to do. And then they're very productive in doing it. But you can't do that with a Gen X. And you can't tell Gen Y that you have more experience than they do. Because as soon as they hear that, they're also out the door. So we have to really have a real knowledge. And, and it, it's almost like going back to school for a leader or a manager and saying, how can I study all these generational differences? And how can I know how to speak to my different workers? But truth is, it's really important. And this is what I'm working on now, Amy. I'm working on creating programs. I'm writing my second book at the moment. I'm working on that. My first book is Achieving the Good Life After 50. And my second book, which will be a, a second edition of the first book, is Achieving the Good Life 50 and Beyond. So I'm talking about how leaders, employees, people in general who are approaching their 50s, which is Gen X certainly is in that, that category. The boomers are in that category. And Gen Y, they're getting there. Gen Z have a long time to go, but how they can better work and have a better work life and a happier work life and a happier life in general. So something you just said there, which made me chuckle, which was <laughs> Gen X want to know what their purpose is. Well, hello, that is that not why I'm here? This, I am a Gen X person ask, asking everybody, what is your purpose? What is my purpose? What is the fascination around purpose, do you think? Oh, well, purpose has become, it, it's the new word, you know, and, 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 and I'm glad for it. I'm actually glad to hear that because people need to know why why they want to do something. And it, it's, it certainly is, it's your why, you know, which you talk about. What is the focus? What is the why? And how can we do it? 
And if you don't know what your purpose is, you can go around in circles, wondering what's next. You can't set goals. You can't have a plan if you don't know what your purpose is. And some people are confused about their purpose. And that's something that I'm also, you know, would love to speak to people about is how do you identify and find what your purpose is and what makes you happy in life? And, and I think it's all combined with happiness. You know, what, what, what is it that, that makes you smile and what makes you want to get up in the morning? If you don't have purpose, then you might want to stay in bed a little longer or stay in bed all day. <laughs> you need purpose to get up, to get going, to get active, to move forward to do something with your life. And so I think we 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 need purpose. It's very, very important. And I'm so glad that purpose has become the new buzzword, certainly for the new generations. It strikes me that working with these different intergenerations, you have a fascination for life, for different stages of life. And having gone through a lot of these ages yourself it's a it's almost about your helping people to to age mm. with wisdom. yes 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 thank you thank thank you for pointing that out because it's something that it's my purpose <laughs> yeah my, my purpose to oh let me see how i can put this to help people who are aging, which is all of us, defeat the stereotype and the stigma of ageism. And so many of us fall into the category of self-stereotyping when it comes to ageism. We talk about ourselves as getting older. We talk about ourselves as not remembering things as well. I know when people say that, I always say to them, you know, I didn't remember things when I was in my 20s. So <laughs> what's the difference? But, but we connect it more with aging. And I'm actually an anti-ageism advocate. You know, I, I'm against ageism as a stereotype, as an ism. And it's the only ism nowadays that's even politically acceptable. You know, we, we, can, we can tell jokes about aging. It's okay. But we can't tell jokes about the other isms, which we shouldn't, certainly. But ageism is acceptable. And I think it's a trap that we fall into because the truth is we're all aging. Each day we get older, the minute we're born, we start aging. And, and yet we seem to forget that and we seem to look at people who we say are older which is people maybe over 50, over 60, over 70, and all those, we say, oh, they're so old. And we have to now not keep them in the workforce, or we have to treat them differently, or have different attitudes about them. And I think we need to look at each individual as a person. We need to look at how people function, rather than the chronological number. And this is my bandwagon, you can tell. <laughs> I really feel very strongly about this, that we, we all function on different levels at different ages. And we need to think about, and, and one, of, one of my pet peeves, and now I think half the audience is going to say, oh my gosh, I can't believe she said that. But I'm going to say it, is when people say, I'm now 60, but I'm the new 40, 
And I say, stop that, stop that, because you are 60 and be proud of being 60, proud of who you are, what you can do and how you're functioning. Just think how a person 40 might feel when you say I'm the new 40. <laughs> what happens to them? You know? So so we have to acknowledge our age. We have to be really um, functioning in a way that we can prove that aging is OK. And again, we're all going to age and we've got to really look at ageism as a very bad thing and get rid of it as a stereotype. Do you think, Renee, that it's not necessarily aging that people are afraid of? It's death. Mm. Yeah, I just I just feel that the perspective on trying to deny the fact that we have a an expected end to to life and we don't know when that's going to be so we always feel like we need to justify something or we need to explain ourselves away and we can't fight the fact that we're going to age and actually isn't aging a privilege oh absolutely and 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 to speak to your question about is it people are afraid of, of death and afraid of dying um it, in our culture yes we, we've created that but in some cultures it's not and i do believe that there are new movements now for people who are really trying to look at, at how we can approach death in a different way and even teach it in, in the school system you know, so that people aren't afraid of it because it's actually just the continuation of who we are and where we go. From the minute we're born, we're actually dying a little bit. And if we can just understand and acknowledge that, I think we can look at death differently also. But I, I also believe that people, when they when they get older, really need to, and, and when I say older, Older really can be, I have clients in their 30s who tell me that they have to change jobs before they're 40 because no one will hire them because they're too old. So we need to be very careful at how we look at age and old and older and how we're approaching getting older. And the culture doesn't help us at all. And I think we need to look at changing the culture a bit and we need to have a movement maybe to understand about death and dying as not a negative, but as, as a part of living and a part of life to include it, to have it all inclusive. I, I'm with you. I, I speak about this a lot in that purpose for me is the art of living. It's understanding about what it is that you're here to do and why you're here to do it, which is why sometimes people feel this pressure of I don't know what my purpose is and they panic. And I and I try to explain that it's it's a case of enjoying the moments and, and creating moments which are fulfilling. And you spoke earlier about happiness. And I see that this is at odds with one another, where people are so focused on not wanting to age that they're also not enjoying their life. And so it destroys the happiness. Mm. 
Yes, it does. Now, culture, culture just creates all these fears in us of, you know, just hide your wrinkles, get Botox, do something. No, don't don't show your gray hair. Although now after the pandemic, so many of us, including myself, are letting our hair grow gray. And it's kind of fun, actually. You know, so we, we, we need to look at the change as something that you know, change can be good. It can be good if we can accept it and look at it as something different. And again, that that we're here, we're alive, we're functioning, and that we need to appreciate what we bring to the table at each stage of life. And so we need to look at ourselves differently. We need to, and how we can change the culture, I, I'm not sure that's something that we could really be doing because Madison Avenue is rather strong. And but but it's gradually. I'm seeing many more models now with gray hair. I'm seeing models who are not slim. I'm seeing models who have some kind of um, issue physically that in the past we might have said, oh, my gosh, that's not good. You know, and hide if we had that that disability or that kind of physical attribute. So we're seeing more and more acceptance and more and more this whole concept about inclusion. No, certainly diversity and inclusion is very important in today's workforce and in today's world. And I, I deal with generation inclusion and generation diversity is certainly there. But inclusion is still is still working on it, including older people into the conversation, including them into the workforce, accepting that people of all ages have something to contribute. And it, it doesn't matter your age. And I have friends in their 80s who are taking acting lessons and dancing lessons and are out there very active and very knowledgeable. And one of them is, is actually someone who I consider a mentor. So we, we need to accept that aging is not so bad and that what comes after the aging, as we mentioned, that then people will, will be dying. And that's part of what life is. And we need to accept all of that. It's not easy. It's not easy. But if we do accept it, then we're happier. We're not as worried about what's happening. And we know and we understand. And this is what's so important in the workforce. It's so important in our lives. It's so important to each one of us individually to understand that we change. Change is constant. <laughs> and change within the body, within the mind, it happens. And it's all okay because we want to also keep, as you mentioned, happy. We want to be happy. We want to maintain this joy, this joy of living in life and passing that on to the people around us because happiness is contagious. No, we need to smile at each other, which I do frequently. People tell me New Yorkers don't smile, um, but I smile all the time. So if anyone, if you come to New York and you see me, I'm the person who's smiling, <laughs> making eye contact and helping you to be happy, which is what we all need to be in the moment, not to think of the future or the past, but really take care of ourselves in the moment, because this is where we have control of our lives. Well, I can just think of of how fortunate these companies are who have a little bit of Rene in their lives, who, who knocked on their door and said, look what I can help you with, because I can see the, the joy and happiness in, in that's coming through your work and, and your, your words right now, because I can see you bouncing out of bed in the morning, ready to, to go yeah, with full on jazz hands and everything. I love it. 
Tell me about the joy piece, Renee. What brings you joy? What brings me joy? It's actually connecting with, with other people. And, and this is something you may know, Amy, because I connected with you when I was over there in, in London and meeting new people and helping people to laugh. I like to laugh. I think laughter is very, very important. Um, it, it, it cures depression. It cures feelings of unhappiness. And and, and it, it, it's done automatically if you laugh. You know, those laughter clubs in, in India where people just laugh automatically. It's not even funny. They don't even, they used to start by telling jokes and then they ran out of jokes and then they just started laughing. So in my workshops, in, in the programs that I do, I always like to encourage a, a segment of laughter. And I see how much joy that brings to people. And sometimes there's those voices in the head that people say, oh, I don't want to do this. What's Renee doing? This is too silly. But most people then start to start laughing because it is contagious and you can't help it. It becomes automatic without thinking about it. And sometimes we need to do things that just bring us unconditional joy that really helps not just relax the mind, but also relaxes the body. And I believe it also increases our health and our well-being and our attitudes toward aging. We age much more effectively and much healthier <laughs> if we can just have some more, bring more joy into our lives and finding things that bring us joy. And I think laughter is one of them. No, I, I, I encourage my clients and the people that I work with not to watch the news before they go to bed because it, it's not going to bring you joy and happiness <laughs> and you're going to sleep with that and you're going to wake up with that. So put on some joyous music for me. And this might be odd to some people. What makes me happy is Irish drinking songs. So I, I like to walk listening to that. I like to go to bed. <laughs> it makes me a little active, but it, puts, but it also calms me down. So that, that's my own personal. <laughs> and you have to choose what yours is, Amy, and the listeners have to choose what brings you joy, what makes you happy. And really, and if you're not sure, then start thinking about it and start focusing on it and find what that is, because that's what's really important for our well-being and our happiness and to spread that to others. And you started this whole conversation, Renee, by saying that you've been focusing on this for 30 to 40 years. And I can see this carrying on. This is not going to stop. This is, this is really fueling what a good life means for you uh, 50 and beyond. And so what I would love to, to know a little, just a little bit more before we wrap up is the, the focus on every day for you and focus on what it is that you you know when a good day is well done for you what does what does a good day for you, you look like a good day for me would be a day where i've as i mentioned connecting with people perhaps meeting new people i love to be because because i am an extrovert also so i love talking to people it's it's having good conversations and I really, very simple. A good day is when I'm with people and I know I can make them smile. It all comes down to a smile. I love it. Thank yes, you. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Victor Borga. Uh, oh, go on. 
Victor Borga, who who was an American comedian and um, piano player, and um, back in the I guess the sixties, maybe he was still alive in the seventies. I'm not sure, but sixties, fifties, sixties. My parents loved him. He said that a smile is the closest distance between two people, and I say a laughter is a hug. <laughs> when, when you're laughing with people, you're actually hugging them. You know, they're hugging you, but a smile will do too. So smile at people, it warms the heart, it feeds the soul, and it keeps us young and keeps us happy. So whilst it's good to embrace aging, we can stay young by smiling for longer. Yes, we can. And forget about those laugh lines and those wrinkles. That's a good thing. It's good that you have them. <laughs> oh, I do. Believe me. <laughs> it's, all, it's all good. I remember being told by my teacher when I was about 11 that smiles won't get you everywhere as she handed back a test that I'd done badly in. And I I just think, wow, uh, I actually they've done pretty well for me so far. <laughs> Yeah, well, it it takes uh, you have to it, you have to really encourage some people to believe it. Some people, but once they start, when once people feel how it feels, I I think they're hooked, and and that's why in my workshops, you know, people always leave happy and smiling, and sometimes dancing out of the room, and I think it makes a big big difference in being happy for the rest of the day. Brilliant. Well, anyone who's listening, Renee, and they think I need a bit of Renee in, in my life or in my business, how would they reach out? How would they connect to you? What's the best way to do that? They can connect with me through Renee at Positivity Pro. And also, and I believe this will be in the notes through Bitly. I have a free offer for people who would like to get my intergenerational quiz. And it's from Bitly generational talk with Renee and you can look it up in the notes also and I'd be more Absolutely. than happy to to send that out to you fabulous I will make sure that goes in the notes so that you can connect with Renee that way and do the quiz sounds fantastic thank you for that Renee what a wonderful conversation I do feel like I am literally going to dance out of the, my office now and and have a smile on the rest of on my face for the rest of the day it really do it's been a real joy speaking with you thank you do you have some final words for the listener please yes I do it's, it's a quote it's two quotes actually one of them is from Eleanor Roosevelt and she said the future belongs to those who believe in the beauty of their dreams so we need to dream, to be happy and to dream. And Walt Disney, who said, and these were his four favorite words, and, and I agree with him, is we need to think, believe, dream, and dare. Because the dare is the part that sometimes people forget about. We need to take action. We need to be, if we're happy and we're smiling, um, what do we do next? How do we take action? And I believe these are my three words, we need to ask. This is what leaders need to do. What we need to do. We need to ask others what's important. We need to take action, as I mentioned. We need to achieve what we want to dream about. And that leads to success and happiness. How has this conversation had an impact on you? What value have you received from tuning in? What are your reflections with actions? Please take a moment to leave me an Apple podcast or Spotify review sharing how Focus on Why has made a difference to you today. 
Remember, the conversation doesn't end here. To keep it going, simply connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, or join the Focus on Why Facebook group. All the links are in the show notes. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.